Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for Football Asia with Paul Williams. Yes, we round out the show as usual with Football Asia alongside Paul Williams of the Asian Game Podcast. Evening, Paolo. Simon, Roy, how are you going, guys? Very good. Good Uh, good to have you on the show again. Uh, Let's start with the Gulf Cup. When we spoke last week, we were looking ahead to the final uh, between Iraq and Oman, and uh, the hosts won it quite dramatically in extra time. I've watched the little clip that you put on your uh, your Twitter page. Amazing last few minutes. Uh, And you did hint last week that this, if they won it, this might be the start of a glorious new era for the Lions of Mesopotamia. Yeah, you never want to go too early with Iraq, though, do you? Because <laughs> they've had so many false dawns in the past that it's kind of like once bitten, twice shy. But it all the signs under their new coach, Jesus Casas, they look promising so far. They did it in what could only be described as true Iraqi style. Nothing ever comes easy. They, they uh, scored a penalty, and I think it was the 117th, 118th minute deep into extra time that they thought was going to win the game. Oman equalised about 60 seconds later that shattered the entire stadium. And then, yeah, pretty much straight from kickoff, earned a free kick and scored in the 121st minute to uh, to win 3-2. What it has done, and, and we hope that it does, you know, bring about a resurgence in Iraqi football, but what it's done at least is bring some positivity back to Iraqi football because too often football in Iraq has been mired by political infighting. There's a never-ending sense of doom that seems to hang over the game so to see so much joy surrounding the game now is hugely positive as we approach the next world cup cycle that begins uh, later this year and, and one good thing that's that's come from it the the fa president basically put out a plea to the prime minister of iraq to build them a national training center um, and he's responded to that to say he will do that he'll follow through and we'll build them now a national training center so let's hope that happens of course you know in Iraq with politics and it could, could anything could happen with with that but um it would be fantastic if if on the back of this golf cup success there can sort of be a rejuvenation in Iraqi football because with eight spots open for the next world cup why can't Iraq be one of those teams absolutely <clears throat> can't bring that minister over here can you get us a couple of stadiums that'd be nice <laughs> um <clears throat> sadly talking of stadiums we do have to talk about um uh, the other side of it, there was tragically a stampede at the stadium as ticketless fans mm. tried to get in for that final. Uh, reports of up to four people having been killed. Uh, we, we spoke last week about Iraq's hopes of, of hosting World Cup qualifiers again on home soil. I guess this is not going to do them any favours, is it? It's certainly not going to help, no. it was. It did, unfortunately, overshadow the match a a bit for not just for me, but for a lot of people, it should have been a landmark day for Iraqi football. It was a beautiful day in Basra, clear blue skies, but yeah, you're right. There was up to reports of up to 250,000 fans descended on the stadium that holds 65,000 people. So it was a recipe for disaster. As you said, unfortunately, I think four people lost their lives up to 80 people injured 
I'm not entirely sure whether the game should have gone ahead in those circumstances when you've had fans killed outside beforehand. I thought they probably should have postponed the game, but perhaps they thought that might cause even more issues with the fans that were already inside the stadium. But it did go ahead, but it's still something that we see too much of in football. Just in the last year, we saw the the crush at, in Cameroon at the African Cup of Nations last year. There was the one in Indonesia a few months ago as well. This one in Iraq. And of course, there were the scenes in Paris with the, the Champions League final. Now, it happens far too often still in football. I don't understand why this is still happening. And more needs to be done with the authorities to stop fans from dying when they go to football matches because no fan should go to a football match and not return home. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Um, Paul, a young man by the name of Cristiano Ronaldo made his debut for Al Nasser in the Saudi Pro League. A 1-0 win over Al Etifak. How did mm. he go? Um, the best way I've seen it described was uh, a, a journalist friend of mine, John McCauley, wrote in The National that the performance didn't quite match the pageantry, but still it felt <laughs> enough. It wasn't a vintage Ronaldo performance, but there was still enough in there to suggest that um, you know, he's going to do very, very well there for, for Al Nasser. Etifak sat, sat very deep um, in in that game and sort of frustrated Al Nasser a, a little bit. But there's great potential in the Talisca-Cristiano-Ronaldo partnership up front. They already seem, you look at all the photos that Al Nasser share on social media, and those two already seem to have formed a, a pretty close bond. So there's great potential uh, in that partnership their next match is that the semi-final of the uh, the saudi super cup against al itihad um which should be a, a fantastic occasion because there's a great three-way battle for the title going on and i think that's going to be really interesting because you know the, the eyes of the world are now on the saudi pro league and there's a three-way battle between the three biggest teams in saudi arabia al nasser al hilal and uh, and al itihad right at the, the top of the table so You've got the biggest clubs in Saudi Arabia, hopefully putting on a fantastic title race when the the eyes of the world are on it. So can they now capitalise on that boom that uh, perhaps China didn't a few years ago? Well, this is clearly part of a bigger plan, isn't it, for Saudi Arabia? Uh, mm. Strong rumours that they want to bid for the World Cup in 2030. Um, quite how that goes, given that Qatar's only hosted it in 2022, I don't know. Uh, but I see this week they've made an interesting appointment as well. The executive president of the Saudi Pro League as of this week is one Gary Cook, who I remember from being the CEO at Manchester City when the Emirati takeover happened. So uh, I, I guess part of his brief is to further uh, expand the, the footprint of, of Saudi football and particularly this league across the region and the world. Mm. And and you read the quotes that that came out attached to that press release announcing um, his his appointment. It is all about their sort of their international ambition and and growing the profile, growing the stature of the league, growing the professionalism of the league too, and helping it really um, develop as a uh, as a league. And and what I've been told is there's been a little bit of a, a recruiting blitz going on at the Saudi Pro League as they really tried to build their profile and their, and their capability with. What I'm told is a lot of foreigners coming in with with global expertise, um, rather than just hiring, um, you know, local Saudis. So they're they're clearly trying to to tap into to something and and really grow the the profile of of their league. Gary Cook's a really interesting appointment. You'd 
obviously be quite familiar with him from his time at Man City. So I'd be interested in in your opinion, your view as to whether you know you think he's a good a good appointment and and what he could do for Saudi football. Well, I guess it depends if he's if he's learned his lesson. Of course, he lost his job at Manchester City for some rather let's call them loose emails that were made public. Um, he's he's a bit of a loose cannon, but I mean, there's no doubt that he's a very smart businessman. And, uh, you know, he was the guy who sort of saw through the City Football Group takeover and was seemingly set to be there for years before those emails emerged a long time ago now. But uh, yeah, it was interesting to see his his name pop up. Uh, Roy, you got a question. Roy, you should have gone to Saudi. Never mind going to I Brunei. Know. You missed your t- missed know. a trick. You should have gone to Saudi, mate. The timing. The timing is terrible. Uh, <laughs> but like, some shekels. But, you know, I, definitely. I would have taken a few as well. Could do it a few. Uh, but Ronaldo, I must say, is it enough, though? Like you're talking about uh, Gary Cook and Ronaldo. If Ronaldo was on Piers Morgan talking about standards and levels at Man United not being good enough. Yeah. Well, like next month, all this money he's going to get. Next month, if he's not happy and he pulls out of Saudi Pro League, how does that look? You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, there, there is that. And there's no doubt he's probably been made to look a bit of a goose because of those comments. But uh, I, I still hear this little rumour that if Newcastle qualify for the Champions League, he'll be allowed to go on loan there, which is, it'd be so interesting. If Eddie Howe was wasn't having that, though, was he? To play. No, he said no. Yeah. But yeah, you never know, do yeah. you? Uh, seven Ballon, Eddie seven Howe... Ballon d'Ors and Eddie Howe is saying no. You know <laughs> well, I mean? Eddie Howe can say no all he likes, but yeah. if his Saudi bosses That's say you're out of him, a point. Yeah, then yeah. Yeah. that'll be the end of oh, it. Gary Cook sent an email. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, go on, you got a question about the Indian Super League, Roy. Yeah, I do. Look, I mean, I suppose, Paul, the big one for me would be obviously Des Buckingham is doing very well at Mumbai City, but, you know, mm. Dimi Petradas, has he rekindled his form from Australia? We've got... Uh, Joseph Gombo, another another guy who done terrific at Adelaide, uh, and he's brought Osama Malik there. Um, how's mm-hmm. their form? Are they are they kind of rekindling that form that they showed in the A League all those years ago? Dimmy certainly is with with Mo and Bagan. They're in the playoff race at the moment. They play Odisha, who um, Joseph Gombo uh, coaches this weekend in what's a pretty important game because there's only a couple of points that separate. The two teams are kind of battling in the sort of the, the bottom half of that top six as they try to get into um, to uh, to the playoff positions. Dimmy's scored five goals in in thirteen games this season. He's got Brendan Hamill there alongside him at Moen oh, Magan, yeah. as you said, Josip Gombau and uh, and Osama Malik at Odisha as well. But it's hard to see anyone catching Mumbai City this season. They won the league two seasons ago. They started the league last season like a house on fire. Then. Faded badly and missed the finals, but they're 15 games unbeaten this season. They're averaging three goals a game. They look unstoppable at the moment, and there's a great Australian connection there outside of Des Buckingham because, of course, Roston Griffiths is there as well. Oh, so, yeah. um, great to see some Aussies still flying the flag in India. So fascinating, isn't it? A few years ago, we all thought it was going to be China that was going to be the emerging power out of Asia. And instead, it could well be Saudi Arabia and India, because we talked last week about their 100-year plan as well. And of course, they've got the population and no doubt they've got the money to invest in it as well. Uh, Before we finish, Paolo, a quick word on what's going on in Thailand. Uh, Buriram, uh, they're unbeaten after 16 games. Looks like they're going to win the championship. Uh, and talking of Aussies overseas, how's Matt Smith, formerly of Brisbane Raw, going as head coach of BG Putum United? Has mm, been a bit of a rough start to life for him in um, in Bangkok. They've he's only won two of his first five. They've dropped now down to seventh on the table, which is a far cry from where they were probably twelve to eighteen months ago when they looked like they were going to become the dominant force 
um, in Thai football and overtake Buriram, given the recruitment that they had done. They'd won the title, they'd strengthened again, and they looked like... We saw what they did in the Champions League in, in Melbourne City's group last year as well, but they've kind of fallen off the pace a little bit this season, but a little bit like it is in India. It's hard to see anyone toppling Buriram, as you said, undefeated after 16. They're already nine points clear of second place, uh, Chomburis, which is um, hard to see anyone closing down uh, that gap in the uh, the back half of the season. Great stuff, Paolo. We'll have to leave it there. The clock's beating us, but uh, brilliant stuff as ever. And uh, we'll talk to you next week on Football Asia. Cheers, guys. That's uh, Paul Williams of the Asian Game Podcast.